0: to Canary in a Coal Mine, your early warning system for all things that are going wrong in the socialist utopia of Seattle that they want to create across our entire country. I'm Ari Hoffman. There's so much news going on, it seems like every time I finish a podcast and get it in the can and I'm ready to broadcast it that night, something else happens and I have to do it this week. We'll talk about masks later in the episode. That happened right after I finished my podcast on Tuesday. But for today, we're going to talk about the news that is breaking right now. 18 businesses located within and around the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone have filed a class action lawsuit against the city of Seattle, seeking unspecified damages to be determined at trial. This just makes my heart glow. Now, unfortunately, you and I are going to be the ones paying the bill for this, or at least if you live in Seattle, we're going to be the ones paying the bill for this because they love spending taxpayer money. But for some reason, which is weird, even though it's taxpayer money, the government is afraid of lawsuits, maybe because it sets a legal precedent about what they can do in the future. But anyway, I am loving every single second of this, and I am not a litigious fellow. The plaintiffs include owners of apartment buildings in the area. The suit claims that the groups have had their rights overrun by the city of Seattle's unprecedented decision to abandon and close off an entire neighborhood. According to the Washington Times, the Seattle city attorney's office said it had not yet seen the lawsuit, but would review it. Yeah, I bet you'll be reviewing it, especially given the fact that we brought to light this week that you guys are negotiating with the people inside the shop and you are diverting people away from jail to one of the organizations that is currently occupying part of Seattle. Patty Eeks, an attorney for the plaintiff, told Mayor Jenny Durkin in a letter Wednesday that she wanted the mayor's office to provide a timeline by Friday for clearing out the protest and returning police to the area, or the plaintiffs would ask the court for an immediate order that full public access be restored. This is interesting. Because Jenny Durkin saw this, Mayor Jenny Durkin saw this as an opportunity to close the streets she wanted because of public art or whatever it is. She's been closing streets all over Seattle. Now, Joel Connolly, who writes for the Seattle PI, really took me to task this week, which I don't understand what I ever did to Joel Connolly in his non existent newspaper that nobody reads anymore, Um, that doesn't even have a print edition for years. And he was very upset that I was equating the fact that the mayor was using this as an opportunity to close streets. That's exactly what she's doing. She's closing more streets. She's using coronavirus to close more streets. Now she's going to close one near my house, which is going to create a massive traffic problem. Oh, there's a whole thing about bike lanes. We'll get into that another time. Those of you who don't live in Seattle don't want to hear about the bike lanes. I'm sure you have that insanity near you too, but it's crazy. It's bad. Stop them. Just stop them. I'm a cyclist and I'm saying stop them. I finally got back on the bike this week after way, way, way too long. I'm really out of shape. I'm going to work on that. Anyway, Getting back to the issue at hand. In a press conference Monday, Mayor Durkin announced that Seattle police would be returning to the East Precinct, but has yet to provide any concrete plans or timeline for taking back the area. The lawsuit also blames the city for aiding CHOP occupants by providing them with stronger barriers, public restroom facilities, and medical supplies. Never mind the fact that we found out on this show, that, through this reporting and friends of the show that were helping out, that they are funding the warlord of CHOP, Raz Simone, and he just came out with a new video. And his new video shows all the protests and the violence. You think maybe he was there just for the footage? I don't know. You got me. The occupation began on June 8th, for those of you who don't know, following days of violent protests against the Seattle Police Department in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Mayor Durkin made the decision to abandon the East Precinct and occupiers repurposed barricades left behind by SPD to create a barrier around the zone and even stationed armed guards to secure the border. According to the complaint, the CHOP has been unchecked by police, unserved by fire and emergency health services, and inaccessible to the public at large. The suit also states that the elderly and disabled community members face maligned obstacles in accessing the area. I'm waiting for my apology from all the news outlets and the politicians and the local bloggers and Twitter people. That said, that we were making all this up. That me, and Fox News, and Jason Rance and Todd Herman, and Dory Monson, and everybody were, was making all this up. That it was a utopia. That it was peaceful. That it was a street fair, or a block party. Listen to the complaint. Listen to the people there. My favorite is when they said the residents like it. That the businesses are doing well. They are not doing well. Because they're dealing, even the ones that are selling stuff, are dealing with more theft and vandalism. Unbelievable. Mayor Durkin. Called the armed occupation a peaceful expression, a street fair, and even a block party. These phrases and sentiments have been parroted by the media, including CNN and the Seattle Times. Seattle Times who accused me of lying about all this. And others who turned a blind eye to the numerous videos depicting violence within the chop and the struggles of business owners even in the wake of three shootings in the area, which took the life of a 19-year-old and injured three others. The lawsuit says the city has actively endorsed and enabled the chop. Yeah, they have. They gave him barriers, and I love that. The other night, you saw a video of once Mayor Durkin said that they were going to clean up the shop, even though she provided no timeline. You see pickup trucks dragging these barriers that the city said were unmovable to reinforce the area, however they want. There's a video out today. Go on my Twitter feed; you can find it of a guy chucking all the stuff in shop. An African American gentleman. He said he's had enough. He's just there ranting about how he's had enough, and he's throwing all the stuff out of the way because he's done. He's done. Unbelievable. According to the complaint, business owners have been threatened, vandalized, and lost business due to the occupation. The complaint stated that the city's decision to turn over the blocks in a nearby park to the demonstrators deprived them of their property rights without due process and amounted to an illegal gift of public property to the protesters. Yeah, that's what we've been saying the whole time. Businesses also stated that customers were afraid to come to the area, so they were unable to send or receive deliveries because of the barriers. That's exactly what I reported, and I was told I was making all that up. Some of the businesses, such as Magdalena Sky, the owner of Tattoos and Fortune, mentioned that they were supportive of the cause of the protesters, but that their business was down because of the occupation, because nobody wants to go there. This lawsuit does not seek to undermine CHOP participants' message or present a counter-message. Rather, the lawsuit is about the constitutional and other legal rights of the plaintiffs, businesses, employees, and residents in and around the CHOP, which have been overrun by the city of Seattle's unprecedented decision to abandon close off an entire city neighborhood, leaving it unchecked by the police, unserved by fire and emergency services, and inaccessible to the public at large. The owners of Cartender said a protester broke into a shop on June 14th, started a fire, and attacked his son with a knife. We covered this last episode. We had video of an entire crowd storming their facility and knocking over their fence. According to the suit, the father-son team were able to detain the burglar, but police did not respond, and uh, oh wait, they called the police about 18 times according to interviews with them, and the police still didn't respond, and other protesters forced them to release the attacker. The incident of protesters attacking the facility was caught on video, and we showed it. 911 has received hundreds of thousands of calls from the area. I want you to think about that number. It's a six block area, and they have received hundreds of thousands of calls. With callers stating that they had called as many as 18 times with no response since the occupation began. According to SPD, crime has risen 250% in the area. And including, according to Chief Carmen Best, rapes and robberies. According to a statement by Eeks, the result of the city's actions has been lawlessness. There's no public safety presence. Police officers will not enter the area unless it is life or death situation. And even in those situations, the response is delayed and muted if it comes at all. By the way, it's not coming. The other day when there was the shooting, so they didn't enter the area. They got close to the area and were met at an agreed-upon area to deal with the victims of the shooting. So they can't get in there. They can't do the investigations they need to do. The statement continued, it is time for the city-endorsed occupation to cease. Our clients need their neighborhoods and lives back. And the city has been indifferent to our clients and others' calls for help. Our clients sincerely believe that protests and the message of those protests should continue, peaceful protests and the message of those protests should continue, but in a way that does not attract violence and destroy our clients' neighborhood or their livelihoods. The plaintiffs are seeking damages for lost business, property damage, and deprivation of their property rights as well as restoration of full public access. I do love that all these other cities are shutting these things down as soon as they pop up because they know the kind of trouble they're going to be in. Only Seattle stupid enough to allow something like this to exist and continue existing. Still no plan from the mayor about how to get rid of this. I wonder if we're going to see a press conference today or tomorrow about their plan, about how they're going to solve this next week. How many bad things are going to happen in the meantime? For example, on Tuesday, a group claiming to represent the Capitol Hill-occupied protest in Seattle tweeted out a message saying that they were done. Here we go. Let's read this for a minute. Dear comrades in the struggle... Over the last two weeks, we achieved what no one thought was possible. We successfully built a self-governing community and convinced city leaders to enact meaningful police reform, including substantial budget cuts to the SPD. Last night, Solidarity Committee received notice from some of our trusted partners that persons in the park were in danger. We immediately implemented our emergency relocation plan, successfully evacuating most of the park. Thankfully, no danger materialized. There's been shootings in the area. No danger materialized. However, we are now left with the reality that very few people remain in our beloved shop. Tons of homeless people still in there. This morning, census finds fewer than two dozen clustered near the East Precinct. Uh, That's not true. There's tons of tents and stuff around there. Eleven additional people are at the Space Needle. Last night's BLM march had 71 participants. You know I'm not going to read the rest of this. This is just complete nonsense. We found out that even though this one group tweeted this out saying that they were leaving the chop, every other group said, well, they don't speak for us, which has been the theme from the beginning saying, oh, well, we don't believe what those guys say and we don't go with what those guys say. Everybody thinks they're in charge and nobody's actually in charge of this. That's what anarchy is about. However, I do want to draw your attention to the bottom of this for a second. The Comrades suggest that they endorse voting for Joe Biden as President of the United States and Jay Inslee as Governor of Washington. And despite our occasional differences, we believe Jenny Durkin has stepped up to show leadership that will heal. We urge you to vote to re-elect her in 2021 in solidarity to the Capitol Hill Occupy protest. If you start an email with Dear Comrades and you're occupying the p- place of Seattle, you think anybody's going to take your endorsement of who you should be voting for? I guarantee you I will not be voting for anybody they suggested I just vote for. But here's something interesting. This announcement came after Mayor Jenny Durkin announced that the Seattle police would be moving back into the abandoned East Precinct and a third shooting in the area. Speculation grew in Seattle of growing violence, which included three shootings in the CHOP, would finally prompt the mayor to act. As of the time of print, there is still no formal plan to take back the precinct. However, other activist groups remained in the CHOP and said they have no intention of leaving and are asking for more supplies. Other groups are considering setting up a new zone, as I mentioned, near the Space Needle. We could call that the... uh, the spinaz, the the spaz, I don't know. Excuse me. The gun violence has clearly fractured the protest, and the fragile leadership, which was rarely united in decision making, as well as narratives by elected officials and media outlets that the chop was peaceful. Street fair block. How many times am I going to disprove this? peaceful street fair block party yeah none of it was happening what comes next remains to be seen meanwhile conditions in the chop have continued to deteriorate there are far fewer people in the chop but the number of tents and homeless occupants continues to grow open-air drug use is common and people wander the streets in various mental and drug-induced states one woman was seen throwing knives against the wooden panels installed on the barriers by the seattle department of transportation for graffiti trash and discarded furniture litter the area And there's more graffiti than blank wall space. Even the chop street vendors had no customers, and there were no longer displays of food for anyone to take lining the sidewalks. A source who works security for businesses and others in the chop said that the John Brown Gun Club left last night, but the local gangs moved in. Wait a minute, I thought it was white supremacists that were shooting everybody in there. Haven't been able to provide any proof for that. On Tuesday, there were far fewer Antifa members visible in the CHOP, and the usual security guards were not present at the barriers, but armed Black Panthers were seen walking the streets. Shootings over the weekend were attributed to gang violence by CHOP activists. So the CHOP activists are saying it's gang violence. Where is this narrative of white supremacists coming from? Cars were beginning to cautiously enter where possible around the barriers where the Seattle Department of Transportation had created access points last week. Protester vehicles were no longer blocking the arterials. Protest organizers still on site said they will not leave until their demands are met and plan on blocking I-5 again this evening to protest, which has become a nightly routine. Here's the sad part. Washington State Patrol announced that they will close I-5 every day. This is our major highway to traffic as long as protests continue to ensure everyone's safety. So you are giving up a highway to the mob. You gave up city blocks to the mob, you're giving up a highway to the mob, and this isn't the city, this is the state. So Jay Inslee, you still aware of this? Still unaware of this? What's the story? Do you know this is going on or not? Because Washington State Patrol is allowing them to stop a major highway with hundreds of thousands of cars backing up because they want to walk across a highway. When does it end? This insanity is across the country. And I tried warning everybody about this years ago, and nobody listened. Don't say I didn't warn you. Coming up, there's a lot more on Canary in a Coal Mine after a brief word from our sponsor.
1: (laughs) Good morning. How you doing? (laughs) Welcome back
0: to Canary in a Coal Mine. I'm joined by Senator Phil Fortunato, who is also running for governor of Washington State. Um, Senator Fortunato, I got to ask a question right off the bat. So yesterday, Governor Jay Inslee announced this mask order that I will be fined and you will be fined $1,000 if we do not comply with his order. Meanwhile, um, people can do whatever they want in downtown Seattle with no
1: punishment whatsoever, nothing else like that. How do you feel about this order?
2: Well, uh, I was trying to get a cop friend of mine to put handcuffs on me, you know. I go, this is, I want you to think about this. In the legislative session, we had a bill that said, if you intentionally infected somebody with AIDS, it was gonna go from a felony to a misdemeanor, okay? And I ran an amendment, I said, well, okay. So they said, no, first time, okay. So we had an amendment, second time, still not a problem. Third time, now you intentionally infect somebody with AIDS it's a misdemeanor. If you don't wear a mask, it is a misdemeanor.
1: And they're the exact and, same level. It's absolutely like absolute this, is,
2: this is madness. And so, you know, my, my, uh, my uh, uh, consultant guy keeps saying, don't use the word madness more than three or four times. I, know it's, it's kind I don't of, know like, any other way to
0: describe it. I think no, it's an no. accurate word. I think the inmates are running the asylum, for lack of a better word. So let me ask you this question. What can the Republicans in the State House do to stop him? Right now, it just seems like he's running roughshod over
2: anybody. Is there anything that can be done? Well, you know, uh, May 5th, uh, it was me, uh, Senator Erickson, Senator Patton, uh, Representative uh, Jesse Young and Vicki Kraft. We had a press conference saying we need to go into legislative special session. If the governor's not going to call a special session, we need to call ourselves in the special session. And, you know, I said to the Democrats, I go, it's in your interest as well, because he is doing things that are affecting your constituents, and you have absolutely no say in this matter. I go, here I am, I'm a state senator. I go, I am reduced to writing letters to Santa Claus, you know? I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm writing letters to the governor. I write a letter to Santa Claus, I don't get a response. I write a letter to the governor, I don't get a response. I go, so unless we're in session, we really can't do anything except complain and write letters. And um, But this this was because, I'll be honest with you, the legislature made a mistake and did not put the 30-day limit on all of these powers. And that's why he's running roughshod over this. But, I mean, the only recourse now is just the courts. I'm in one lawsuit, I call it the winners and losers lawsuit, you know, where, uh, you know, you can, uh, somebody else, you can go to Costco and buy baby clothes, but you can't go to Sally's baby store and buy baby clothes picking winners and losers. And, um, uh, but the gist of that uh, lawsuit is pretty simple. I made the statement, we are no longer in an emergency. These emergency powers center around having an emergency. This isn't an emergency anymore. It is a crisis that we need to manage. So we're not in an emergency phase, therefore he no longer has emergency powers. And that's my position in this. I mean, he's done with these emergency powers. And I told our caucus, stop authorizing all these, uh, 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 you know, additional, um, uh, you know, things that the guy is doing.
0: So why do they continue to do so?
2: It seems like you're just a idea. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to argue with my caucus all the time. And, I, you know, May 5th, I said, we're done with these proclamations. We're done. I go, now, many of them, to be honest with you, we agree with. <clears throat> they waive fees, they waive costs, they waive penalties, <clears throat> they waive penalties. We actually agree with these things. The problem comes in is that when we keep uh, 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 authorizing these, we are admitting that he has the power to do it. And that's my problem. I, we should be having a statement that he no longer has the power to do it. And our caucus are just weak. Yeah, and it seems like, are there any
0: Democrats at all that are going to come across the aisle on any of this kind of stuff, realizing how much revenue they're going to lose from these businesses being shut down, realizing how bad the budget's going to be, realizing how it's hurting their constituents. Are there any that are talking about coming over and voting with the
1: Republicans on any of these measures to stop?
2: Well, them? they all, they, they all agree with us. They, you know, there's about five of them that agree with us, but are not willing to go up against the governor. And that's the long and the short of it. Oh, you know, we're working with the governor and we're trying to get some of these loopholes things. We're trying to get some, uh, some of the things to address some of our concerns. And, uh, and I go, the guy's just stringing you along. And, but they're not willing. If, if we did go into a legislative special session, it would be the first time in state history. Right. And, but at the same time, and,
0: it's the first time in state history we've had any of this other stuff before. So for right, me, well, I mean, that's around, my argument.
1: Right. That's my argument.
0: Right. At this point in November, I want to throw everybody out of the statehouse. I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican because they let this happen. So what would you say to somebody like me who says, I have no confidence in either party right now because essentially I got a dictator running the state and the power was handed to him by the opposition? Which is exactly
2: the way, reason I'm running for governor. <laughs> I go, now I said, I want you to think about this. You are one of seven and a half million people and you're frustrated, mm-hmm. right? Now, I'm one of 49 people. I'm, I'm somebody that can actually affect state policy. You know what that means? I'm 153,000 times more frustrated than you are, which is the exact same reason why, you know, people are going like your party's gutless. You're not doing anything. I agree with you. I mean, my caucus, I have a hard time with my caucus repeatedly. I mean, there's only three of us that are really good conservative uh, members in the Senate. And <clears throat> I mean, on March 5th, on well, uh, May 5th, when I called for a special session, not a single, well, there was three of us that called for a special session out of 21. Like, uh, what, a month later? They all get the brilliant idea. They all get the brilliant idea that we should call it, we should go into special session. The time is right now. I go, what do you mean the time is right now? Time was right a month and a half ago. And um, I said, the very first thing we need to do in special session is put a 30-day limit on all of his uh, powers, period. He needs to go back to the legislature to get any of this stuff approved. Second, we need to say... None of these things that you do can infringe on somebody's constitutional rights already listed in the, in the uh, uh, Constitution. See, here's the thing, is that right now, it seems like there's no end in sight to
1: any of this w- at all. And it seems like the legislator helped get us to this point. So what is the date where you guys are back in session without a special session that we might see a light at the end of the conference?
2: Uh, second week in January.
1: Second week of January. Right. So you're not back till January. And in that case, but, oh, you but, might even have bear, a vaccine by then.
2: Well, but bear in mind, we don't have enough money to get back. We don't have enough money to make it through June 30th.
1: And that would be that. So they can't right. operate. So, so
2: we need to go into special session in order to do budgetary stuff. Now, the governor's talking <laughs> about the governor's talking about doing this in November now after the election, because he doesn't want to make it political. I go, you're joking me, right? He doesn't want to make it political, said, this whole thing's political. I said we left we left the uh, uh, healthcare realm and entered the political realm on March twenty-sixth when you picked winners and losers. Yeah. I go, you know, uh, it was no longer a healthcare issue at that point.
1: I don't see the Washington State GOP doing anything about this aside from doing a few TV interviews. I don't see a United front at any level of the Republican Party in the state. Do you see any way that can be changed? Is it a leadership thing? Is it a we're tired of losing thing? Is it we don't have the people to run thing? If people want to change, what are their best ways to do it aside from saying, okay, the governor's race is coming up in November? What can actually be done right now for the average person?
2: Well, I said, I tried to get King County, all the GOP, state party, I said, everybody should be calling their legislator and telling them, go back in a session, get some guts. Go back into session and represent the people that you represent. I mean, uh, my people in my district are going out of business over this stuff and I'm helpless. I can't do a damn thing about it. I have no input. I can't do anything unless we go into session. And uh, I said, so we, everybody should be calling their legislators, Seattle, everybody. Um, and just call the legislative hotline and say get off your ass and go back into special session and uh, rein in the powers and, uh, you know, start cutting the budget. Every dollar you save now is a dollar that you, uh, we don't have to save in January.
1: Do you think that this showcases a flaw in our structure of the calendar, at least, of how this government of Washington state is set up, where, they're not working when they don't feel like they need to work. And we have a major crisis going on right now. Is there something that people are talking about changing when you're back in session to stop something? No, else? that's,
2: that's why we need to, you know, I'll be honest with you. When we talk about these special powers and all this stuff, emergency powers, everybody was thinking earthquake, volcanoes blowing up, tidal waves, you know, a big earthquake. We get a tidal wave hit the West, West coast, coming down Puget sound, you know, earthquake, uh, uh, you know, communications being disrupted, highways being collapsing and all this stuff. That's what we were thinking about. Nobody was thinking about this pandemic thing. So, um, so they, uh, everybody was thinking that, you know, 30 days, you know, nobody would be extending his more in 30 days. And uh, he's basically abusing his power at this point. And, but the first thing we need to do is go in. Now, bear in mind, it was a constitutional amendment that did this. So even if we went into session, and we said, uh, we can pass a law, um, but it would need to go to a vote of the people to amend the Constitution, because his response is simply going to be the Constitution gives me the right to do this, which is true. And so we need to pass the constitutional amendment and then it needs to be voted on in November. But he should be respecting the will of the of the legislature by reining that that uh, that in and getting a legislative approval to do some of this stuff.
1: And I confess, I have not read our state constitution in the depth that I should, I haven't memorized the thing. I have read it a few times, but I don't recall anything about an armed insurrection in downtown Seattle, but I think that would merit, you know, one of the biggest, the biggest city in the state, having an armed occupation downtown, I think that would merit a special session. And yet the governor, didn't even know it was happening, allegedly. So what is to be done when something like that is happening in our biggest city and they can't get everybody back together for
2: that? Well, I don't know if you need to have a special session to do that. The governor controls the state patrol and he controls the National Guard, right? Now, the governor also can pull the mayor of Seattle in and say, what the hell are you doing? And get your act together. What did this, you cannot have this. Now, as governor, of she is responsible for the the health and safety of the people in Seattle. But uh, the governor is responsible for health and safety of everybody in the state. That's why, by the way, he's making you wear a mask, right? Oh, we're, we're concerned about you getting sick. We don't want you to communicate this disease to anybody. But the people in Seattle can take over a half the city and nobody does a damn thing about it. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, this, this, is, this shows the flaw in their mentality, in their thinking. You know, my, my son once said, you can get to the right answer for the wrong reason." Well, these people are demonstrating they can't get the right answer, and they have the wrong reasons. And I mean, they're justifying this as a, uh, a, a, a what a street party, a block party, you know? Oh, it's just uh, you know a bunch of kids having a good time, you know? Oh, King County handed out a thousand masks, and my comment was, you should have been handing out a thousand handcuffs. What do you, you know? And this this also shows, you know, when I did my homeless. Bill, my set of bills for homelessness. I said, you know, everybody says how they're going to fix homelessness. I said, okay, how exactly are you going to do that? What legislative bills are you going to pass to get these people off the street, to get these criminals off the street? How are you going to do that? So I set that out. And the first thing I put on there was graffiti. And um, the Seattle Times made fun of me saying, oh, he's going to fix homelessness with graffiti. Like, you know, graffiti is a sign of social decay. If you allow graffiti, the entire neighborhood goes down the tubes. And that's the point. You allowed this little bit of a, you know, uh, uh, people running around with masks on doing uh, 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 spray painting things. You allowed that. And now what happened? You lost half your damn city. And uh, so sometimes a little bit, a little bit of show of force at the right time can minimize all that stuff. You can't use tear gas. You can't do this. You can't do that. Tying the hands of the police. Uh, talking about defunding the police with a straight face, I mean, you know, we need to really enhance mental health for these people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you is that, you know, looking at, I grew up in New York, so I saw what Rudy Giuliani did to turn around the city. Whatever people think of him these days, he was 100% right back that The broken windows policy worked. Somebody's going to get mad at me for mentioning that right now. I'm going to see it in the comment section as soon as this goes live. But it worked because graffiti, people also don't realize it has gang affiliations with it. And it marks territory and says, this is our spot. And if you let that stuff in, if you keep it there, it's going to degrade the entire neighborhood. It's going to get worse and worse over time. And what I'm seeing in downtown Seattle reminds me of what I saw as a kid in the 80s in Manhattan. That's what it looked like. And now New York's backtracking. Seattle's going down the tubes. And it seems like there's no end in sight. I've been down to this place four times. It is not what they're talking about on TV. I think people are finally waking up after the shooting. And they're probably saying, oh, you know, this could be a little bit dangerous. I'm not sure. It took took a person dying, a 19-year-old kid dying, for people to finally wake up. And I don't really see how this ends because the mayor during her press conference was promising things that had already been guaranteed as part of other legislation, as part of other bills, as part of other projects, to say this is how it ends. And I don't think any of that is going to help the situation now. I think she's worried. She saw the results of the Seattle City Council race, which was a far socialist election. And she's worried that the same people are going to vote for somebody who's more left than her in the next election. She's trying to placate them. Do you think that Jay Inslee is going to be trying more and more to placate the left because he's worried about serious challenges from the right? Do you think this is only going to get worse right?
2: Well, uh, I think what is emboldening him is when you look at poll numbers that say, how is he doing on the virus thing? Because that's what he's looking at. He's looking at the virus polls and things. And there is a lot of senior citizens that are on fixed incomes that are not as affected as other people that are losing their jobs, that are out of work, they're not getting their unemployment and all that. And those are the people that are boosting up his poll numbers as far as do you agree with the governor's position on uh, on the virus thing? That's why he's he's continuing this stuff. So we need to turn those poll numbers around and get people to say, start calling his office and say, "What the hell are you doing?" And we don't agree with you and all that stuff. His poll numbers start uh, start changing. I said that you know um, uh, you know if everybody wore a mask on Friday that said, "My governor is an idiot." You'd probably not have to wear a mask the next day, right it seems like whoever pushes back the hardest gets their way like that whole yeah. sure. i mean look 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 what happened in Seattle. what did these guys do? two hundred million dollars in damage and mm-hmm. what's the what's the mayor's response? oh, we're going to give you a hundred million dollars uh okay hey uh i' I'll, I'll cut you a break I'll only do fifty million dollars worth of damage to get a hundred million bucks. How about that yeah. you know I mean this this i I don't know how to uh, and what is the alternative now? But because they let this go so far, how are they going to bring it back in? And there's no other way to do it than the, a use of force. And you could do it with, uh, you know, beanbag shotgun shells and stuff like that. to shoot beanbags, you know, non-lethal, uh, uh, non-lethal force and stuff like that. But the, you're going to have this conflict now, whereas before you could have reined this in with minimal use of force and all that stuff, a little bit of tear gas, arrest a few people, would have been dispersed. And now they allowed it to get out of control, and and um, uh, and these same people are talking about disrupting the democratic convention and all that stuff. It's hilarious.
1: Yeah, I, they don't understand that these people are against America, and it doesn't matter what party you're with. They're anarchists and Marxists. They don't want any of this stuff to continue. You know, somebody made a point to me today. I'm Jewish, and I don't go around tearing down monuments to fdr even though he denied jews entry during the holocaust even though he could have stopped parts of the holocaust i don't go around defacing fdr memorials and you know attacking his library anything like that this seems to be a a direct attack on our way of life and i think seattle is spreading because you see all these other people trying to set up their own autonomous zone. so senator you actually asked me for this interview because you said you want to talk to me about what's going on inside the shop, so how can I help you? What
2: questions can I answer for you? So my question is: is how do how do the people how do you think the people inside that zone feel? I mean, if I was in there, I would feel abandoned by my city. I would feel like I'm I'm paying taxes for what reason? And I would I, every one of them I would be asking for my tax money back. I mean, I know exactly how they're feeling. Yeah,
1: I know a property manager was telling me that. Everybody's bailing on, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people are bailing on their leases and just saying, we're out of here. Businesses have told me they're not reopening or they can't operate. And meanwhile, you've got organizations like the Seattle Times playing cover for everybody, saying, oh, it's peaceful, it's a street fair, look how lovely it is, look how wonderful. They can't do that anymore after the shooting. Meanwhile, people are suffering in there. Here's something interesting. The businesses that are doing well, taco stands, liquor stores, things like that, inside the shop, are still having the graffiti problems and the theft problems. So it's still a net loss for them. So they may be doing okay in business, but they're not doing okay in business because they're still having all the other problems, the problems that you and I have spoken about at Great Light that have been affecting Seattle for years now because of the homeless population. The place has pretty much turned into an armed homeless encampment. And who wants to live there anymore? Who wants to be there?
2: They just don't want to. And and you know, here's my problem. You know, people, people say to me, for example, You've been bashing Seattle the entire time you're in, C- in the Senate. I go, yeah, I'll be honest with you. You know why? I'm the senator from the 31st legislative district. It is in my interest to have those businesses move out of Seattle and move to my district. It's in my yes. interest. I represent my people. Now, if I'm governor of the state, it's in my interest to have Seattle clean up its act. Seattle is a destination city. All the consulates and everything, like, uh, everything else are in Seattle. I had, I had dinner with these three guys from the Korean uh, assembly. You know the first thing they said to me? Why do you let these people crap on the sidewalk? That's the first thing they said. Now, they didn't say, "See, oh, all the Space Needle is so beautiful and the ferry boats and the, and the Puget Sound and the docks and the, and the mountains. They didn't say that. They go, why do you let people crap on the sidewalk? Now, when they go back to Korea, what kind of image of, of Washington state are they going to have? They're going to have these people like it's a third world country. And, and that's uh, what it like. Like.
1: I mean, complete with pulling down statues. In fact, here's something else I find interesting Seattle's oh. named after Chief Seal, right? This guy was a slave owner because when the different tribes were massacring each other, they would keep whoever survived from the other tribes as slaves. Yeah. When are they going after that statue downtown? I'm waiting for that day to happen. How about the wedding statue over in Fremont? If these guys are serious about it, go get them.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, then you know, I the problem comes in is that the the logic is if they were all if they were a vulcan their mind would explode because there's no logic to this you know there's 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 it's kind of hard to justify how they're making these decisions and and the scary part is these people are adults you know and uh, I go uh you know when I was on a radio interview I used a reference to animal farm because it struck me that when you saw the sign when they had the police precinct and it crossed out police and wrote in peoples, I said it reminded me of the pigs writing the rules on the barn, on the barn wall. You know, and every day the rules change. But it, but the the thing that surprised me was how many people didn't catch the Animal Farm reference. Right, but people <laughs> you know, don't know They can quote one
1: or two lines from it because they've heard them repeatedly but they've never actually read the book. They're talking about 1984. They don't know what that means. You know, For some of them, they probably think it's a rock album. They don't know who Orwell or anything of that. They don't understand it. And people who don't study history are condemned to repeat it. Well, you know,
2: uh, um, one of the things, you know, I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich because mm-hmm. I said, how is it possible that these people could allow this stuff to happen during the process, you know? So, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich was written as a documentary, but then there was a companion set of books called The Berlin Diaries, written by the same guy, and um, how is it possible that people could allow their Jewish neighbors to be carted off without saying anything? And the answer to that was, the Nazis auctioned off their house, and they auctioned off all their stuff, and people were going like, I would never be able to afford this stuff if it wasn't for Hitler, right? And... When this guy went back, he um, he went to the same neighborhood that he was in because he was there for like ten years, twelve years before the war, so all during the thirties and all that, the rise of Hitler and all that stuff. He's there as a reporter, and so he went back to the same neighborhood when they pulled him out and put him back in uh, before the U.S. got into war. And he went to his neighbors and said, you know, what do you think of Hitler? And they, oh, you can't believe anything the Nazis say. They're lying. They control the news media. They do all this other stuff and and you can't believe anything they say. And he goes, well, what about the fact that, uh, you know, he invaded Poland? Well, the Poles, the Poles attacked us. And the point is, they're saying that they don't believe anything they say, but they're believing what the newspaper said because they repeat it enough times. Right. And, um, and that's, that's what we're experiencing now. I mean, look, look at the Seattle Times and the stuff that they're writing and all this stuff. It's like, it's like they're on a different dimension. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's it's like they're not on the same plane. One of their writers came after me
1: the other day, and actually all the facts were on my side, not theirs. It still didn't stop them from blasting me. And I think they're on the third revision or something, and they still haven't gotten it right. Something scary sure. is when you bring up the Nazis. you know the percentage of people who are involved in the Nazi party in Germany? Five percent. Five percent did all that. And it's scary because people go, oh, it's just the crazies out in Capitol Hill. Crazy's <laughs> crazies out in Capitol Hill elected Kishama Sawant three times now. So we can see what could actually happen and actually I'm having a hard time feeling bad for some of the people who are complaining out there who said that they voted for all this. I'm like, yeah. what did you guys expect out of she's been saying it. She has been 100% transparent and clear about what she wanted from day one and you guys kept
2: voting for. it. hey, hey, don't hey people just voted ready. for anybody else? You know, and people go once we didn't know Hitler was going to do this. He wrote it down in the book. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't know why they're surprised. No. You know? And uh uh, but anyway, I mean, one of the things that uh, you know was mentioned was talking about censuring uh, uh, legislators that were uh, condoning this stuff, and because uh, we did have some legislators go down there and agree with these people and condone it and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm but, not I don't know how you
1: can condone anarchy. I, it really ticked me off that I saw the entire Seattle City Council
2: heading out there and
1: protesting with these guys against the police force just to score brownie points with the opposition. And I'm like, guys. I, like some of them, one of them was a district attorney, assistant district attorney, and let some of these people go from the streets that were still having problems with the crime. He says, I'm going to fix crime now. I'm like, you're the one who let them out of jail. Right, like, you right.
2: Right. Well, so, you know, and that brings it to the point where when you talk about the homeless issue, you know, all right, I got homeless people on the street right now. How do you legislatively remove those people? Okay. And I said, well, the first group of people that you're going to look at are the people that are criminals. Now these are people, they're shoplifting, they're stealing purses, they're breaking into cars, they're breaking into houses. Uh, and, and it's referred to as homeless crime. Like it's not real crime. And so you hear these people constantly say they've been arrested 10, 20, 30, 40 times. Well, why aren't they in jail? And the answer to that question is, the prosecutors are not prosecuting them. So what can you do legislatively? So I had, a, I had drafted a bill. I said, okay, if you're a prosecutor, you get one time, one time to determine whether or not you're going to incarcerate, to prosecute. After that, you must prosecute. Now, what can the governor do? The governor can, you know, we can't prosecute him because we don't got enough prosecutors. Hey, governor can give you more prosecutors. We give you more judges. We can give you more prosecutors to clean this mess up. Governor can do that. All right. So then the next group of people is the group of people that are not criminals, but they're still homeless, they're still on the street, they're still in the parks, they're drug addicts, mental health issues, drugs and alcohol, uh, but they're not, uh, if they are criminals, they haven't been caught yet. How do you get those people off the street? And the Supreme Court said, uh, you can't get them off of public places unless there's a place for them to go. Fine, I'm gonna give you a place to go. I'm gonna fence an area in, I'm gonna give you a tent, sleeping bag, Uh, mental health counseling, drug and alcohol counseling, uh, sanitation, and a police presence. No drugs, no alcohol. You have to commit to drug and alcohol treatment. Now, if you're not willing to do that, you need to leave. You need to go somewhere else. You cannot stay here. I'm providing you a place. I'm not taking taxpayer dollars and funding your addiction. And uh, so now you can get the people off the street. And then also, you know, you got some of these people that are mental health issues. You get a chance to actually uh, address that issue and and treat that. Um, In Florida, they added, in Washington State, if somebody is a threat to themselves or someone else, you can pull them off the street for 72-hour evaluation. But what happened? I mean, I saw a guy in Seattle. He's walking down the street. The guy wet his pants. Now, obviously, there's something wrong with this guy. But he's not a threat to himself. He's not a threat to someone else. But what Florida did was add personal hygiene. So now by adding personal hygiene, you can pull that guy off the street, do a you know psychological evaluation, maybe any mental health issues or whatever, but you can pull them off the street. It's not compassionate to let these people camp on a sidewalk and sleep in cardboard boxes. But the, people,
1: the people in the shop would agree with you because they start complaining about all the homeless people stealing their food and all the other problems they're having. <laughs> so I think that's the most ironic thing. Senator Fortunato, thank you so much for being with us. Best of luck with your campaign. And I'll tell you one other thing. I spoke to a few of the other candidates. You were next on my call list. I'm thinking about putting a debate together on my show. And one of the things we would do is we would invite the governor. And if he doesn't show up, I think I'm going to clip his answers from press conferences and insert them as I see fit. And I think yeah. that would be a great way of having him present at this debate. Would you be up for something like that? Yeah,
2: you well, know, you know, and we haven't actually had debates where you get to ask your other uh, candidates questions and things like that. And people go, oh, you know, Republicans shouldn't be bashing each other. I go, well, you know, is, the problem comes in is, is it bashing each other when you're saying, uh, this is my plus? This is why I'm the better guy. I don't have the baggage this other guy has. Well, you know, actually,
1: what I thought about doing was I would, so that nobody's bashing each other, I'd be the bad guy, and I'd bash everybody. You know, yeah. really, nobody could say the Republicans are bashing everybody. I'd say, I'd pull up everybody's laundry list, right? Yeah. Every single thing. And I'd say, we're going to get this out here right now because it's going to come out of the campaign sometime.
2: Yep, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're the nominee, if you're the nominee, what is Inslee going to say about you? Right. You know, and, and I'm the only one that doesn't have a PDC violation or whatever. I said, I ran four races in five years. And the latest thing they came up with is 37 years ago, I had an $87 and 50 cent lien released, uh, lien that I paid. Right. And uh, I mean, they've exhausted everything they could possibly say about me. Um, I mean, they're going to say you're too conservative, you're pro-life, you're this, you're that. I mean, they're going to, they're going to do that stuff. But uh, uh, but I'm the only guy that doesn't have any serious baggage. And um, you know, and, and, If I give you, if Ari Hoffman's running for office and I give you a dollar and Ari Hoffman has to spend 50 cents of that defending himself rather than attacking the other guy, it's not a good investment.
1: All right. We'll leave it with that. Senator Fortunato, best of luck with the campaign. Thank you so much for being with us
2: today. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Good job. We'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor
0: welcome back to canary in a coal mine remember if you like the podcast to rate to subscribe to share if you hate the podcast remember to rate it subscribe it and share it so you won't miss a single offensive thing that I say or something that offends you in some weird way that nobody can possibly comprehend. I am loving the amount of hate that I get because all it does is raise up my per click rate. So thanks so much, guys. Really do appreciate whenever you hop on my page. I thank you and I hope you keep up the good work. Anyway, moving along from there. I posted this week about Governor Jay Inslee's announcement that Washington State is now mandated for everybody to wear masks. Okay, let's go through what happened. Immediately my page explodes as if anybody is going to solve whether or not we should be wearing masks on my page, as important as I think I am. That is not going to happen. It's not going to happen on my page. It's not going to happen in social media. It's going to happen through the legislator or it's going to happen through the governor getting a new governor getting elected, or whatever the case may be. But it ain't going to be solved on my Facebook page. So people, chill out. Chill out. Now, I want to look at this for a second. Todd Herman did something great on his show on 770 KTTH this week where he broke down everything wrong with the mask stuff. I'm going to talk about it from my perspective for a minute. You were designed this way. Nothing's blocking your face. Nothing like that at all. That is how God made you. At least that's what I believe. That's how God made you. When you start messing with your body, with chemicals, with drugs, with alcohol, with masks, with anything that disrupts the system, it has ramifications. Now, you could be taking medicine for a good reason. You could be taking it for a bad reason. You could be doing drugs for a good reason, bad reason, whatever the case may be. But it messes with your system. Whenever you mess with the standard, with the status quo, things are going to go wrong. What happens when you cover up your face like this? You are rebreathing in the stuff you are exhaling out, and now you are taking it back to you. And you have created an environment in front of your face, which is more like your mouth, which is keeping the bacteria and all the bad stuff that's in there right in front of your face, and then you're breathing it in. Something interesting about Governor Inslee's decree is that it just says you have to wear masks. There's no requirement. There's no thread count. There's no nothing like that. So in theory, I could wear my Batman mask, which leaves this whole area exposed, and wear that, and I'm covered. Because it just said you need to wear a mask. Now, some of you got really ticked off because I said that the CDC and the WHO and the Washington State Department of Health. Actually, I take it back. Not the Washington State Department of Health, but the CDC and the WHO said that masks weren't necessary. And that's true. And then they changed their mind and then they changed their mind again. Fauci did the same thing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So are they necessary? Are they not necessary? Here's the thing. If masks are so good and can stop all this stuff and can do all this, why do we have to socially distance? Just thinking. You know the key ingredient in giving somebody coronavirus? Having coronavirus. And we have found out it does not live on surfaces as long as we thought it does. It gets killed in heat. It gets killed in UV light. And that people under the age of 50, the death rate in Washington state is 0.0005%. There are, of course, people at risk, and we have to protect the people at risk, which is why I wear a mask when I have to be around my wife's grandmother, because I don't want to kill her. Unlike Cuomo and Inslee, who sent people back to nursing homes who had coronavirus. (laughs) I mean, I shouldn't be laughing. It's tragic. So we're talking about this, and people are wearing bananas that don't do anything. Here, take it from a guy like me who's in construction. Painters, drywallers, things like that. If they're not wearing the right kind of masks, they're going to have horrible lung problems. They're going to have brain problems. They're going to have all kinds of things from the fumes, from the dust. And here's something else. The molecules from uh, drywall and other things of that nature are bigger than these, which means it's going to be harder for them to get through the mask, and they still do a fine time. If you wear one of these basic masks that most people wear, you will see that your inside your face will be covered in drywall material. These things don't do anything. They really don't. It's about making you feel better. If you sneeze into it, okay, it blocks it. But, you know, I had a teacher, a science teacher, who showed us this UV graphic or infrared graphic of what happens when you sneeze. And when you don't cover your face out, it just blows out that way. And when you do cover your face out, it just blows down. That's essentially what we're talking about here. The stuff's just going down. It's still going somewhere. Or you're breathing it back in this is not good for you a friend of mine is a doctor and when he reopened his practice he had all his employees put on a blood oxygen monitor and it fell over the course of the day that they were wearing these things all day it fell that's not healthy people with asthma this is going to make things worse for you so i know everybody's all up in arms about the mask one way or the other but it's not a political issue follow the data follow the science portland had a i'm sorry uh, oregon had a county That said that you have to wear masks except for people of color. Is that going to do anything? At this point, we are behind the curve. You want to blame somebody from the top all the way down through our country about why we are where we're at? Great. Fine. I don't care who you blame. At the same time, we missed our opportunity to stop anything. And things are going to keep spiking. And whether it's all political or not doesn't matter. The virus is still here. But we now know who's at risk for it. We need to protect the people who are at risk. And everybody else needs to go back to work. That's what needs to happen. You want to wear a mask? Fine. I'm not stopping you. Don't yell at me about not wearing a mask. I'm not going to wear a mask. You know why? Because it cuts off my airflow. And it's giving me problems. And I don't have coronavirus. And I'm not worried about infecting you. And you want to say, oh, you don't know if you have coronavirus? Here's something interesting. If you're asymptomatic, you can't transmit it. Yeah, that's all getting lost in the news. That's at least today's news, is saying that if you're asymptomatic, you can't transmit it. So, if I... I'm not feeling well and have the symptoms and things like that. Of course, I'm going to go and quarantine myself. My wife's sister just came to town. She's quarantining herself out of caution because she came on an airplane. She's at risk. Kids, blah, blah, blah. She's doing the right thing. I get that. Be responsible. Same time, don't yell at me about wearing a mask. Don't do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to yell at you because you are wearing a mask. No. What is all this? This isn't going to stop anything. Now, I have some friends who took issue with what I said, and I'm going to invite them on the next episode of this program to discuss this in detail from a scientific perspective, and I'm going to ask them every question you have about this. So here's what I want you to do. If you have a question about this, I want you to PM me on Facebook. I want you to send me a private message on Facebook through my public page, and I want you to say, these are my questions for your doctor friends. So send them over to me, and I will ask all the questions you have, because I know you have a ton of them. Anyway, a whole lot more coming up. Dan Crenshaw's book just showed up in my house, autographed copy. That's what you get for pre-ordering. Very excited. So I'm excited to read this this weekend, and I'll have a review for you on it next week. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and don't say I didn't warn you. We'll see you next time on Canary and Coal Mine.